0: This is Shakespeare Closely Read. I am your host, Mark Naftal. In this podcast, I read the works of William Shakespeare and other authors in the public domain. In addition to reading these works in their entirety, I'll stop frequently to comment on the text, its meaning and lessons to be drawn. This is a place for lovers of Shakespeare's words, words, words. I delight in the beauty of his language and believe through this beauty, we can find truth and how to live a virtuous life. I hope this podcast can help students understand Shakespeare better and how to appreciate his sometimes difficult language. Maybe you can use it to help you write papers or study for tests. Drop me an email at shakespeareclosely at gmail.com if you have questions, comments, alternative interpretations, criticisms, or would like some help. Let us begin. Last time we saw the two armies preparing for, for battle, uh, the night before the French very eager for daylight to come so they can uh, mop up the pitiful remnant of the uh, of the British army. And uh, the English somewhat uh, more wary, and uh, King Henry, or Harry, as he is known in this uh, in this portion, goes out among his soldiers disguised. Um, I think it's rather interesting, though, that the two encounters we see, uh, that of Pistol and the three common soldiers, he manages to quarrel with everyone. Um, of course, Pistol is sort of a, a pre-shadowed comic relief, if you will. But I thought the other common soldiers had had very good arguments about the potential uh, guilt of the king in leading so many to, to their deaths. Um, Shakespeare... Uh, certainly gave both sides their their fair share, fair argument there. And uh, say, so I think the common soldiers seem to come off somewhat better. Yet, of course, even though they had some trepidation about it, um, it appears that they didn't did not appear that they're going to run away or certainly mutiny or anything like that. On the other side, the French are supremely confident, taking no thought of tomorrow, the state of their soul or anything else. So let's uh, Let's continue then, and we, uh, another Frenchman, Quample, I don't know if that means, uh, I don't think it means grandfather, not sure what it means. At any rate, here we go, Quample. Why do you stay so long, my lords of France? Yond island carrions, desperate of their bones, ill-favoredly become the morning field. Okay, so they're, they're, according to this French, Fop, I suppose the uh, the British are already carrying. Um, that is their their meat for uh, buzzards, vultures, and I guess um, animals of some sort that will eat the dead. They're already dead, um, and they're already leaving their bones. They're they're ill favoredly become the morning field. And then he goes on to describe them back to the text. Their ragged curtains poorly are let loose. And our air shakes them passing scornfully. Okay, their clothes are just like ragged curtains that are that are flapping in the breeze. Big Mars seems bankrupt in their beggared host, and faintly through a rusty beaver peeps. Okay, so uh, the army then is, is is personified as Mars. I say Big Mars is bankrupt and their beggared host little alliteration there with bankrupt and beggared. And also the uh, two uh, references there to being uh, poor in a financial state uh, status. They're they're bankrupt and they're beggared. And then another uh, another bee there, their rusty beaver. That's their uh, uh, their helmets on uh, the visor on their helmets. And big Mars is just uh, he's just faintly looking through a rusty visor. Back to the text, <clears throat> the horsemen sit like fixed candlesticks with torch staves in their hand and their poor jades lob down their heads, drooping their hides and hips, the gum down roping from their pale dead eyes. And in their pale dull mouths, the gimmel bit lies foul with chawed grass, still and motionless. OK, so the the horses are all worn out. They're weak. They're diseased and um, and. Disgusting things are, are coming out of the eyes of their horses. Okay. Um, and the horsemen are, are like fixed candlesticks. Um, in other words, there's, uh, there's not much to them, and they're, they're not even a person. They're just like a candlestick. And their executors, the knavish crows, fly o'er them all, impatient for their hour. Okay, so that's another reference to the carrion. Uh, here are the knavish crows. Uh, so the crows are even uh, already calling about them, anticipating guess, uh, eating on the dead bodies. Description cannot suit itself to, in words to demonstrate the life of such a battle and life so lifeless as it shows itself. Constable, they have said their prayers and they stay for death. Dauphin, shall we? Shall we go send them dinners and fresh suits and give them fast their fasting horses provender? And after fight with them. okay. so the dolphin is so confident he thinks it's even not even fair. They should they should give them food first. uh, So it would be more of a fair fight. Constable. I stay before my guard on to the field. I will the banner from a trumpet take and use it for my haste. Come, come away. The sun is high and we outwear the day. Okay, nice little rhyme there of away and day. They exit scene three and we're going to go back to the British. Enter Gloucester, Bedford, Exeter, Irpingham, with all his host, Salisbury, and Westmoreland. Okay, so these are the uh, the high nobles of the British king. Gloucester, where is the king? Bedford, the king himself is rode to view their battle. That would be the battle array of, of the French. How they're drawing themselves up because the commander wanted to know um, how to attack or defend. So he's a he's a good general, a good king, and he he wants to look it over. Westmoreland. A uh, fighting men, they have full three score thousand. Okay, so Westmoreland says they have sixty thousand. Now, I've read supposed historical accounts that so say, well, maybe the French didn't have that much, and maybe the British had had more than uh, we're going to hear about in this play. Nevertheless, they were very lopsided odds. Uh, Exeter, that's five to one. Besides, they are all fresh. Okay, so. Um, they had a little bit over ten thousand, maybe twelve thousand men, according to Exeter, were in the in the British forces. God's arms strike with uh, Salisbury. God's arms strike with us. Tis a fearful odds. God be with you, princes. All, all to my charge. If we no more meet till we meet in heaven, then joyfully, my noble lord of Bedford, my dear lord Gloucester, and my good lord Exeter. And my kind kinsmen, warriors all, adieu. So the British seem uh, noble, seem somewhat resigned to their fate there. And Salisbury says, I'll meet you in heaven if we don't meet again. Uh, There again, though, this seems like a better attitude for anyone to take uh, going into battle to keep your your mind on death. But the the French, at least in this telling, are not worried at all um, about their death. And. uh, and Salisbury, theirs too, is calling on God's arm to be to be with them. God's arms strike with us. So he's he's calling God to fight for them. And obviously they'll need it uh, because the odds are so against them. Bedford, farewell, good Salisbury, and good luck go with thee. And yet I do thee wrong to mind thee of it, for thou art famed of the firm truth of valor. OK, so uh, Bedford wishes him good luck. But he says, oh, but you don't really need it because you're a good fighter. Exeter Farewell, kind lord. Fight valiantly today. Salisbury exits. Bedford. He is as full of valor as of kindness, princely in both. Okay, so high praise there. He was a he's a good soldier, he's also kind. Enter the King of England. Westmoreland. Oh, that we now had here but one ten thousand of those men in England that do no work today. Okay, so here's great speech of Henry. I think this is the, the band of brothers. Um, speech. What's he that wishes so, my cousin Westmoreland? No, my fair cousin, if we are marked to die, we are enough to do our country loss. And if to live, the fewer men, the greater share of honor. God's will, I pray thee, wish not one man more. By Jove, I am not covetous for gold, nor care I who doth feed upon my cost. It yearns me not if men my garments wear, such outward things dwell not in my desires. But if it be a sin to covet honor, I am the most offending soul alive. No, faith my cause, wish not a man from England God's peace. I would not lose so great an honor as one man more, methinks would share from me for the best hope I have. Oh, do not wish one more. Rather proclaim it, Westmoreland, through my host, that he which hath no stomach to this fight, let him depart. His passport shall be made, and crowns for convoy put into his purse. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. This day is called the feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand on tiptoe when this day is named and rouse him at the name of Crispian. He that he that shall this this day, he that shall see this day and live old age will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbors and say, "Tomorrow is Saint Crispian." Then he will strip his sleeve and show his scars. Old men forget, yet all shall not be forgot. But he'll remember with advantage what feats he did that day. Then shall our names familiar in his mouth as household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester, be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son, and Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered, we few, we happy, we band of brothers, for he that today sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition, and gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves a curse they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap while any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's day. Okay, great speech. Now it's given to his his nobles, but sometimes this is played with the soldiers who are coming up and gathering um, around him. Um, so, but it starts off with Westmoreland said, "Oh, we, there's all these men in England not doing any work. Were they with us today?" And King Henry will have none of that. Um, and there's pretty good logic behind it. Uh, because, he, of course, he wants to encourage his nobles and, therefore, his other soldiers. Um, but he says, "Look, if we're going to lose, then it's best that uh, that no more Englishmen uh, die this day. If it's if we win, the more honor we'll have." I'm somewhat reminded of. Um, Gideon's army with the Midianites, which was constantly uh, whittled down through the desire of God, until so I think he only had three hundred men left, and defeated a great host of uh, of the Midianites. Seems like the same sort of sort of attitude here. Um, Henry says he's not covetous for gold; he doesn't he doesn't want a lot of money. Um, nor, nor care I who doth feed upon my cost. Um, there, that was a large retinue. Uh, which which a king and, and high noblemen's would keep. Uh, it was seen as a status symbol. Uh, it yearns me not if men my garments wear. That's the livery of the king or high noble. And he says he didn't care about that, but he does want honor. And if it's if it's a sin to not to to want honor, then he's the most offending soul alive. Somewhat remem- remembering here of uh, Falstaff's. Um, saying in Henry, the fourth part one who has honor. He who died on Wednesday. Now, Falstaff was was very practical about that. But Henry saying, no, he wants honor, even if it's going to cost him his life. Um, so this would be a great honor for him. Um, Henry, if, if he, when he does not watch one more. And then he says, if anyone wants to leave, they can do so. He'll write him a passport and he'll even give him money. Um, so. There we have it. Oh, there's no stomach uh, to this fight. Um, he doesn't want him around. He would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. And then there's the uh, uh, the talk about the future, the prediction of what's going to happen if they win. Uh, and that, that they'll remember the, the Feast of St. Crispian. I don't really know anything about, uh, about Saint, Saint Crispian, but obviously this was his feast day um, that the battle was going to be there. So it would be remembered um, that way, that the Battle of Agincourt was, was fought on uh, the feast of, of Saint Crispian. And, um, and so Henry predicts, and I'm sure Shakespeare had seen scenes like this, um, where it was the anniversary of a famous battle And the old men who'd been soldiers would stand up and they'd show their scars. Uh, That's an old Roman custom as well, which was obviously still still going on um, in in Shakespeare's time. Um, And Henry predicts that even if old men forget that this battle will never be forgotten. Of course, it's that sort of uh, prophecy in uh, after the fact on Shakespeare's part, because this battle became so famous. Um and he's talking to here about it, predicts that the the old men who fought with him that day um, would be drinking and remembering it and and you know, in a village pub or whatever, I'm sure that people would be buying them drinks because of what they, what they did. I mean they're flowing cups freshly remembered um, the great nobles who were there and the fathers will teach their sons about it and it will be remembered he says to the end of the world and that they will then be remembered so type of uh, of immortality if you will um and then here's the famous line we few we happy few we band of brothers and that phrase band of brothers then was adopted for a story uh about i believe it was the 101st airborne division um of the United States in World War II, the Band of Brothers, which was made into a mini-series. and then he says that uh, whoever um, sheds his blood uh, with him, with the king, he'll be his his he'll be his brother, and it will gentle his condition. There will be a step up towards the nobility, or at least the gentry, um, to begin with. It will gentle his condition, and uh, and he'll be a, a step up and on his way uh, up. And whoever was in England, this harkens back to the very beginning of the, of the, of the speech where, you know, the other noble you know, wished for men who weren't doing work in England to be with them and said, hey, whoever's back in England and they're sleeping now, they're going to regret uh, that they weren't, weren't there and fought with, uh, with the others on St. Crispin's Day. So great speech, and this is sometimes used as an encouragement, uh, also along with the speech before Harfleur. Back to the text, enter Salisbury. My sovereign Lord, bestow yourself with speed. The French are bravely in their battle set and will with all expedience charge on us. King, all things are ready if our minds be so. Westmoreland, perish the man whose mind is backward now, King Henry. Thou dost not wish more help from, from England, cuz that's cousin Westmoreland. God's will, my liege, would you and I alone without more help could fight this royal battle? King Henry, why now thou hast wish 5,000 men, which likes me better than to wish us one. You know your places, God be with you all. Okay, so before it seemed to had they had about 12,000, and um, and so Henry here seems to be saying they only have 5,000. Um, again, I have not looked into the history in a little while. I'm not sure what the modern estimates are, but maybe uh, after this episode I'll do a little research. I should at least do that for this podcast. Okay, uh, Tucket, I guess that might be like uh, uh, sounds of battle or something. Montjoy. Oh no, that would be like a herald thing. because here comes the French herald, Montjoy, which is the French battle cry, Montjoy, um, which is actually purgatory. Okay, my joy. Once uh, more, I come to know of thee, King Harry. If for thy ransom thou wilt now compound before thy most assured overthrow, for suddenly they art so near the gulf that needs we much be ingluttened, glutted, Excuse me, ingluted. Uh, that it means you're you're gonna die. You're gonna you're gonna be overwhelmed. Back to the text. Besides, in mercy, the constable desires thee, thou wilt mind the followers, thy followers of repentance, that their souls may make a peaceful and a sweet retire from off these fields where wretches, their poor bodies, must lie and fester. King, who has sent thee now? The constable of France. I pray thee, bear my former answer back. Bid them achieve me and then sell my bones. Good God, why should they mock poor fellows thus? The man that once did sell the lion's skin while the beast lived was killed with hunting him. Okay, I always love that line. Uh, So we saw the French before gambling on how many prisoners they take and the ransoms they'd get and so forth they were already uh, disposing uh, of their booty and Henry's reply to that is uh, is sort of a parable um, that a man sold a lion's skin that went out to hunt him and was killed by the lion uh, while he was hunting him um, Henry here, of course, compares himself to the lion. The lion is a symbol of British royalty. Um, So let's hear that again. The man that once did sell the lion's skin while the beast lived was killed with hunting him. As many of our bodies shall no doubt find native graves upon the which I trust, shall witness living brass of this day's work. Okay, so. uh, He's saying they're not going to die in France. They're going to go back to England and, uh, and there they will die. They will find a native grave. And those that leave their valiant bones in France, dying like men, though buried in your dunghills, they shall be famed. For there the sun shall greet them and draw their honors, reeking up to heaven, leaving their earthly parts to choke your climb. The smell of shall breed a plague in France. So uh, Henry's saying, even if they die and they're tossed on the dung hill, um, they're going to stink and, and and mess up the air of France. So uh, he's uh, he's swearing that they're never going to give up. Uh, notice the sun again. How many times I have to call that to your attention? Uh, the the image of the sun there. Back to the text. Mark then abounding valor in our English that being dead. Like to the bullets, crazy and break out in a second course of mischief, killing in relapse of mortality. OK, so that's a, like, like a bullet's ricochet uh, that it comes back and then hits and kills somebody else. So their bodies will too, even when they're dead and they're going to keep killing French. Back to the text. Let me speak proudly. Tell the constable we are but warriors for the working day. Our gayness and our guilt are all besmirched with rainy marching in the painful field. There's not a piece of feather in our hosts. Good argument, I hope. We will not fly, and time hath worn us into slovenry. But by the mass, our hearts are in the trim, and my poor soldiers tell me, yet ere night, they'll be in fresher robes. Uh, They will pluck the gay new courts over the French soldiers' head and turn them out of service." Okay, so he's speaking proudly. Um, Another semi-famous line there, warriors for the working day. because of Shakespeare's uh, invocation of common soldiers uh, here and elsewhere. Uh, and he again talks as he has before to the Herald about, you know, look, we're we're all poor, you know, we're we're marched out, rainy marching. That is true. It was a rainy day in the Battle of Agincourt. Now, in the Olivier version of this play, um, it's bright, sunny day, and you can see the arrows cascading over in formation. Um, it's very stirring, but I've got to say that uh, and admit that Brenna's version, where it's in a downpour, it's all muck and mire, um, is, is I'm sure, more realistic. They say the weather conditions had much to do with the British victory here, that the French came in with a full cavalry charge, but over boggy, muddy ground, the the, the horses were stumbling. Also, apparently it is true that uh, uh, Henry's soldiers put uh, sharpened stakes into the ground, pointed towards the French so that their soldiers, uh, excuse me, their their horses would impale themselves on it and add that then the massed longbowmen. the terrible arrows, which came, were shot up very high and then came down with such force that they were able to pierce arrows. And the great victory of the British becomes a bit more understandable. Uh, but at any rate, Henry's saying, you know, the, the rain has caused them, um, worn them down to the slovenry, as, as, as Shakespeare calls it. But even though that's happened, uh, their hearts are high, And they're ready to go, and the soldiers say, hey, we may look terrible now, we may be in rags, but we're about to kill a bunch of Frenchmen, and we'll take their clothes from them. Back to the text. If they do this, as if God please, they shall. My ransom then will soon be levied. Herald, save thou thy labor. Come thou no more for ransom, gentle Herald. They shall have none, I swear, but these my joints which, if they have, as I will leave them, them, shall yield them little. Tell the constable, Montjoy, I shall, King Harry. And so fare thee well. Thou shalt never hear Harold any more, King. I fear that wilt once more come again for a ransom. Okay, bit of a foreshadow there. We do see the herald one more time, um, but it was not for King Harry's uh, ransom. Enter York. York kneeling. My Lord, most humbly on my knee, I beg the lending of the bayward. Okay, so he wants to be in the first rank. King Henry. Take it, brave York. York rises. Now, soldiers, march away. and how thou pleasest, God dispose the day. They exit. Scene four. Alarm, excursions, enter pistol, French soldier, and boy. Pistol, yield, curr. Prince Soldier, je pense que vous êtes les gentil hommes qui ont qualité. Pistol, qualité comme me costumes. Art thou a gentleman, what does thy name discuss? Prince Soldier, oh, Seigneur Dieu, he said, oh, Lord God. Pistol, oh, Seigneur Du should be a gentleman. Perpend my words, oh, Seigneur Du, and Mark. Oh, Seigneur Du, thou diest on point of fox. Except, oh, Seigneur, thou dost give to me egregious ransom. Oh, prenez Corday. Let's um, have mercy on me. Ayez petit de moi. Pistol. Moi shall not serve. I hold forty mois, or I will fetch thy rim out at thy throat in drops of crimson blood. French soldier. Est-il impossible de le fort et tombois? Pistol. Brass, cour. Thou damned and luxurious mountain goat offers me brass. French soldier. Oh, pardonnez-moi. Pistol. Say, thou me so? Is that a ton of mois?" Come hither, boy. Ask the slave in French what is his name. Boy. Ecoutez. Comment t'as vous appelé? French soldier. Monsieur le feu. Boy, he says his name is Master Fur. Pistol. Master Fur. I'll fur him and furk him and ferret him. Discuss the frame in French unto him. Boy, I do not know the French for fur and ferret and furk. Pistol. Bid him prepare, for I will cut his throat. French soldier to the boy. Qu'est-il, monsieur? Oh, boy. Il commande vous, dear, que vous faites, vous prêtez. Calais soldat, ici, et disposez-vous à cette. Copie votre gorge. So I think they said he's going to getting ready to cut your throat. Pistol. Away, Cubagorge, pur foi peasant, unless thou givest me crowned brave crowns are mangled, shall that be by this my sword, French soldier, oh vous souplez pour l'amour de good for the love of God, me pardonnez, pardon me, just suis la gentle homme et I am a bon i'm a I'm a gentleman of a good house, garmel of ma vie, et vous donnerez du sent coup, okay. Save my life, spare my life, and I will will give you two hundred accused uh, Pistol, what are his words? Boy, he prays you to save his life. He's a gentleman of a good house, and for his ransom he will give you two hundred crowns. Pistol, tell him my fury shall abate, and I the crowns will take. Okay, rhyme there, with bait and take. French soldier to the boy, but um, Monsieur Cadet Teal, boy. Encore, qu'il est contre son german de poisoner aucun prisoner. moi pour les coups que vous lui avez promis. Et il est content de vous donner la liberté, les françaisement. Okay, so he's going to take the, the money, the crowns, and he will give you liberty. The French soldier kneels. French soldier. C'est magnifique, les vous dormir récemment. Et je je me sens heureux que que j'ai tombé entre les mains de ce voyageur japonais. J'ai j'ai plus bravement vêmonte et très distingué. Signor de Angleterre, you're a very distinguished person of of French. Of England. Expound to me, boy, says Pistol. Boy, he gives you upon his knees a thousand thanks and he esteems himself happy. If fall into the hands of one as he thinks the most brave, valorous, and thrice worthy Señor of England. As I suck bud, I will show some mercy. I, I will some mercy show. Follow me. Okay. Um, boy, suivez vous le grand capitaine. The French soldier stands up, he and Pistol exit. I did never know a uh, so voice, so voice issue from so empty a heart, but the saying is true. Okay, I don't think we're going to have time to finish this. Uh, the boy's little speech will we'll we'll finish, and then we'll come to scene four next time. Uh, we're in the battle, even though we began it rather ridiculously with pistol. And uh, so we'll see how that turns out next time. Until then, adieu.